Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. On this Sunday, as we rest from our labors, uh, I think it's appropriate we also pause and, and recognize that we have a lot to be thankful for. We're thankful for our jobs and thankful for those that work to put food on the table in our homes and so on. As we think of the subject of work, I'd like to consider today also then the, the work of the church. And the planting of and a growth of a congregation is something that is both a human work and also the work of God. And this fall, as Pastor Ryan mentioned here, um, he and I will be preaching through the book of Philippians. And that's really a letter from the Apostle Paul to a certain location, to a, a city, Philippi, uh, which is in Macedonia, just north of present-day Greece. And so today, today, then, I'd like us to just look at the founding of that church. Uh, and I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 16. And there it tells us about the start of that congregation at Philippi. And as we consider the start of that congregation, it's an opportunity for us also then to reflect back, I think, a little bit on even our own congregation here at Maranatha and see how that, too, is both a human work and also the work of God. I invite you to look with me then at Acts chapter 16. We'll begin with verse 11. And you stand in reverence to God's word. So after setting sail for Troas, we ran a straight course to Samthrace, and on the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were spending some days in this city. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate, to a riverside, where we were thinking that there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia was listening, and she was a seller of purple fabric from the city of Thyatira and a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Now when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave woman who had a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing great profit to her masters by fortune-telling. And she followed Paul and us and cried out repeatedly, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation. Now she continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed, and he turned and he said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very moment. And when her masters saw that their hope of profit was suddenly gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them before the chief magistrates, they, they said, These men, Jews as they are, are causing our city trouble, and, and they are proclaiming customs that are not lawful for us to accept or practice since we're Romans. 
The crowd joined in in an attack against him, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. We're going to stop there at this point. Let us pause and pray. Lord God, we thank you for this glimpse into the founding of that congregation there at Philippi. And Lord, we pray that as we meditate on these verses, that you would help us to see the the human work that was involved in starting that congregation, but also, Lord, that we would see your hand in all of that. And uh, Lord, that you'd encourage us, that you are at work among us as well. We, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So first of all, let's just size up the situation there at Philippi from a human perspective. Uh, What humanly went on there at Philippi that resulted in this Christian congregation being formed? Well, the human work of church planting at at Philippi depended on a human personal concern. Paul and Silas had a personal concern for people, a, a concern so strong that they were willing really to dedicate their very lives to spreading this message to whoever would listen to it. And they believed that they had information then that people desperately needed to hear, information that would shape the lives of of others as well, and even give them hope for life after death. And so their human activity then involved traveling wherever the mission would take them. And when it seemed that they couldn't bring the message where they'd planned, they eagerly went someplace else to try to spread it there. And that eventually then led them to Philippi. And it tells us about that in the verses right before what we read. And you might say then that the human work there at Philippi started with with prayer. It started with Paul and Silas praying, and it started with them then going to a place where they knew that there would be other praying people. Because you see, praying people are are people that at least believe in God. They believe there is a God, and, and, and so they're the kind of people that would be more likely to listen to the message. And so at Philippi, which was this Roman colony, then there was a very small group of God-fearing Jews there. And the group was so small that they didn't have a building of their own to meet in, didn't have a synagogue. And so in towns and cities where that would be the case, the Jewish people who were diligent to practice prayer about three times a day would tend to then designate some spot, often next to a body of water, as a place of prayer. And Paul and Silas apparently knew that perspective, and and so they, and and I I believe then even Timothy and Luke would have been with them, uh, they went to this place, and just outside of the city gates, alongside of the Ganges River. And sure enough, there were a number of God-fearing women that were gathered there, and so Paul and Silas then had been looking for people that would be receptive to the message, and, and they found that there at the riverside. And they began then speaking to the women who were there. And that brings up an interesting thing then. That is that the work of church planting required a human messenger in order that people would hear the message. And that's still true today as well. That the work can't go forward, humanly speaking, without someone 
being willing to speak about the things that they believe and why they believe them. The work of the church these days then also relies on that. It relies on pastors who are willing to proclaim then that essential message that draws people into the congregation. But it's not only pastors who are needed to be the human messengers. In order for a congregation to be planted in any location and to grow there, uh, there's a need for many more human messengers as well. Other people that are also convinced that they have a message that people around them really need to hear. And it's with that in mind, uh, we're going to be in one of our adult Sunday school class series here later this fall, offering a six-week uh, adult class. Um, it's kind of a Josh McDowell and Josh and Sean McDowell video series. Um, short time of video and then some time to discuss the things that, that they bring up. It's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict, Life-Changing Truth for a Skeptical World. I did some previewing of that, and, and uh, one of the uh, series tells us about um, Josh as he tells his own story in his life. And it's kind of fascinating how he, he came to college really as a bitter atheist. And he met students there who treated him with a loving concern and who lived their lives confidently proclaiming this, their personal faith in Jesus Christ. And they invited him to examine the evidence for the truths about Jesus. And they invited him to believe as well. And that brings us to another thing then here that we observe, humanly speaking, in, in the work of church planting. In order for the church to start and to grow, there needs to be a call to believe. Um, a call to personally respond in faith. And that was certainly the case in our text here. And as we look at it, we see then Paul called people to a life-changing response to the message. And, and the first person we see, is, is this, or the first convert there at Philippi was Lydia. She was a seller of purple fabrics, and it tells us in verse 14 and 15 here that she responded to the things spoken by Paul. And, and that response then involved a change for her and for her whole family as they were baptized. And they invited Paul then to come in to their home and, and stay with them. The second convert mentioned here was a slave girl. And she responded to hearing Paul proclaiming a message. And she declared she believed that they were servants of the Most High God. And she said it over and over again. She really believed that. And her life became radically changed. And she no longer continued in her fortune telling. And when that then resulted in her masters no longer making money off of her, uh, then Paul and Silas were seized. They were beaten with rods, they were thrown in prison, and, and their feet fastened in the stocks. And they're in prison. Instead of despairing, it's fascinating what you see. They were praying and singing praises at midnight. Having a song fest there, and all the prisoners were listening to this. And that, to me, indicates something else that is here. There was something supernatural going on in these guys' lives and in Philippi at the time. And we're going to talk about that in a bit here, but I'm getting ahead of myself here as we get to the hand of God in planting a church. Well, I want to just review for a second first. Let me remind you here what we've observed. The, the human side of it, the human work of beginning a congregation at Philippi involved human concern for other people, and on the part of Paul and Silas then, and that eventually brought them to Philippi. It involved prayer by them and by other praying people. It involved people being receptive to the message that they'd heard. 
It involved Paul acting as a human messenger in order to get the word out, and it involved people being called to a life-changing response. As we think about that, those things are characteristic or a part of what happens in any planting of a congregation. That certainly was true here at Glendon as well. The human work of beginning a congregation here at Glendon started back in 18, or not 1800s, no, it wasn't that far back, 1987. Um, and some of those same things, we would see that, really, that there was a human concern that the churches in the area were changing the essential message and they were drifting away from what they used to believe. There was prayer that went on on the part of those concerned people with others as they met and considered what to do. There were human messengers, including pastors like Molstry and DeBoer and uh, Finstrom in those early years. And they were also, I've heard from many examples of this, they were active laymen and women who were willing to talk about their faith and to invite others to come and hear that message. And, and there were more and more people then that became receptive to the message and who were called then to a life-changing response. And that included then, in plenty of cases, even leaving where they went before and, and coming and beginning a new fellowship here. And so there was the human side to the work of planting this congregation. And there still is a human side to that work today. And so we still then need human workers in, in many ministries that go on each week and each month. And as uh, was mentioned, next Sunday is Rally Sunday and kind of the beginning of uh, that expanding of those ministries here as Sunday school begins and soon a confirmation and, and uh, kids club and other activities here. And congregational life involves human activity, human work. And there's a need for many to be a part of that. And you'll be reminded of some opportunities for that even next week. But you know, it has to be more than that. If God is not supernaturally in the work, then it's really just a human organization that's formed, and we could just well be a social club of some kind. And as we look at the start of the congregation at Philippi here, we see that besides that human activity we've looked at, there's also clearly the sovereign hand of God in planting that congregation. And, and so look back with me again at the text and notice those things that we say are attributed to God. God directed the missionaries to people that were ready to hear the gospel. <clears throat> Excuse me, in, in the verses preceding our text, it tells us about that. After finding that several different locations were closed to them, Paul had this vision at night, that Macedonian call, where he saw someone saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And verse 10 tells us that he concluded that God had called him to preach the gospel there in Macedonia. He believed that God knew where to find receptive hearts and he was able to direct them there. God also gave him and, and the, the others the words to say then, the essential message to preach. And wherever Paul went on his missionary journeys, that he seemed always confident in what to say. He, he knew what his message was. Well, why was that? Well, it's because he believed that the Holy Spirit of God gave him words to say. And what was that message? It doesn't really tell us in this text here, but like if you look back at chapter 13, there we have, for instance, uh, one of Paul's sermons that he preached. And, and what does he talk about there? Well, he was speaking to Jewish people, and, and so he tells them about 
God's hand, first of all, in Jewish history, in how God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt and, and led them through the wilderness and into the promised land. Then he goes on in Jewish history to telling about the Old Testament judges, like Samuel, and then the kings, and he especially highlights King David. And he points out how through the line of David, then God had promised that there'd be a Savior that would come. And then he says, now at last, that Savior is here. He has come, and his name is Jesus. And he was the righteous Son of God. And then Paul shows how the Jewish leaders had rejected Jesus and had condemned him to death on the cross. But how God had raised him from the dead. And he sums it all up in chapter 13 with this. And I, I just read from there. He says, And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this promise to those who are descendants by raising Jesus. Therefore let it be known to you, brothers, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. You know, that was his message then. It was very likely his message at Philippi as well. That, that is the essential message of the Christian church, always. That there is forgiveness of sins for you available in Jesus Christ. Moses couldn't give you that. He could just point out your sins. But Jesus offers you forgiveness. And so at Philippi 2, then, Paul confidently proclaimed such a message. And God gave him those words to say. And then we also see this, though, that, that God gave spiritual illumination to those who heard the message. Verse 14 tells us concerning Lydia there, the seller of purple fabrics, that the Lord did something there in her heart and life. It says he opened her heart to respond to those things spoken by Paul. In order for people to become Christians, the Lord has to open their hearts. And that was true then, and it still is now as well. And so then, we need to pray for that very thing to take place. As we go about the human side of activity in the church, um, we need to pray that, that God would guide us to people who are ready to hear the message. And that he would give us, then, the words to say. And that he would then open their hearts to really hear that message, not just with their ears, but in their hearts. So that their hearts would be softened to see that they are sinners in need of a Savior and that Jesus Christ came to forgive their sin. We see a couple other glimpses in this text of the work of God in planting that church at Philippi as well. And there we see that God confirmed the gospel message with some amazing works of power. The casting out of a demon from the slave girl, for instance, or the bringing about of that earthquake. Those are things that are clearly beyond human ability to make happen. Well, God is still able to do works of power. Though we shouldn't assume that he'll choose to do miraculous signs, we still want to believe that he always is able to do that. But sometimes what he does is he simply sets up the circumstances. He sets the circumstances in place, and we look back and we can see how he did that as well. And at Philippi, that was definitely the case. He ordered circumstances beyond human ability to orchestrate them. As we look back at the circumstances that led Paul and Silas to come to Philippi, for instance, we're not told the details of it in chapter 15. We're just told that they were prevented from going to Asia Minor and they were prevented from going to Bithynia. But it seems to me 
that there were circumstances that didn't permit them to go to those places. Kind of like, you know, if you're, if you're driving along, I, I was doing this this summer, driving along a road, and I, I like driving roads I've never been on before, just exploring, you know. And so I had in mind, I charted this out on a map where I'm going to go, but then I come along to this detour sign, and it forces me to not go that way, but have to go through some other towns instead that I hadn't planned on. Um, that's interesting too, but it changes the plan. Well, God is able to change the plan. He's able to line up circumstances in our lives that change our plans and that put us in contact then with some people we would have never come in contact with otherwise if he hadn't redirected us. And I, I think of that even in, in our own lives. In, in, in my family, for instance, our move here over 12 years ago, um, there were things that God put in place, both in Minot, where we were, and here, that caused us to consider and, and accept this pastoral call. And as we look back on those things, we see how God lined up those circumstances in ways that we could have never done ourselves. Very likely, God has done the same in your life. He's, he's lined up some circumstances in your life, maybe even that brought you here to be part of this fellowship at Maranatha. And God lined up circumstances in the lives in our text here of the slave girl, that brought Paul and Silas to speak the message in her hearing. He lined up circumstances um, that led Paul and Silas um, where they ended up getting thrown in jail right before that earthquake happened so that they would respond in a certain way to that earthquake and decide not to escape when they could have. And that resulted then in the Philippian jailer and his household coming to faith. God had his hand in all of those things. One last point where we see the hand of God in our text today and, and, and really in what we're going to be looking at in the next weeks. And that is that that church at Philippi came into existence as people came to believe in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And, and then after that, though, they continued to grow in that faith. As, as they met around the Word of God, hearts and lives continued to be changed forever. And, and we see that, that, that God works Ongoing life transformation in the hearts and lives of those that are saved. Next week, we're going to be looking in Philippians chapter 1. And there we will see Paul as he writes to believers at Philippi then. It's a matter of months, maybe even years after he had left them, having started that congregation. And he's fondly remembering back to their response to the gospel. So he's remembering Lydia and her family. And he's remembering the slave girl and, and the jailer and his family. And, and he writes to them and others, and, and this is what tells us in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it a day of Christ Jesus. What confidence he had, what, what confidence we can have in the gospel as, as we continue to proclaim it today, that God is at work, that he still does these things. He still is in the business of starting congregations and causing them to grow as he guides us to people who need to and are ready to hear the message and, and as he gives his messengers words to say and as he opens the hearts of those who hear and, and as he shows his power in various ways and as he orders circumstances in people's lives, even to bring them to town and, and uh, to this Location and, and he orders circumstances in individuals' lives and in their families. God is at work. And the work of planting a church then 
A Christian congregation is, is a human work, but it's also clearly the work of God. Let us pray. Lord God, we do thank you for this reminder of, of uh, the activity that took place there at Philippi that began a Christian congregation there. The people that were there, the human side of that, Lord, but we also see your hand in that, and, and we are amazed at what you were able to do, Lord. And we pray that as we think about those things, you'd help us to recognize in our own lives, too, and in this congregation, how you have been at work, how you continue to guide us to people that are ready to hear that message. Lord, I pray that you would lead us to people that we could invite even to come and to worship here or be part of our ministries here and to hear your word. And Lord, I pray that you'd continue to give those that are messengers here, whether it's up in the pulpit here on a Sunday morning or it's Sunday school teachers or others, Lord, that you'd give them the words to say, that you'd lead them in understanding your word and proclaiming it. And I pray that you would continue to open hearts, Lord, that those that hear the message would, would uh, respond to it and would believe in Jesus, would learn to walk in a relationship with him. And Lord, I pray that you would order circumstances in our lives that, that bring other people into this community as well and that uh, we would invite, and, and Lord, that uh, you would continue to use this church to um, bring people to know forgiveness of sin and eternal life in Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.